Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would grab your Bibles, if you've got one, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back that is our gift to you. You can take that and grab those uh, and have a Bible of your own. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures or grab your device and open up to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, we have been, uh, it seems like it's been 20 years in Exodus and we still got 20 years remaining. And so uh, we are journeying through, but we're hitting a a milestone here this morning. Daniel did a great job unpacking Exodus 19 with us uh, last week, and we hit uh, this morning the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. So everyone, I think, probably in this room, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you've grown up in the church or not, you have some frame of reference for the Ten Commandments. You've heard about the Ten Commandments. You may know a couple of the Ten Commandments. You may know all the Ten Commandments. And so when we hear the Ten Commandments, all of us sort of have a preconceived idea or a preconceived sort of subset of uh, things that we're walking into the room with when we hear Oh, we're walking through the Ten Commandments. And really, just to let you all know, I was supposed to get through all of them today, but I stopped at the first. I couldn't get past the first commandment. So um, I'm going to have to like speed through nine next week. But really, this, the rest of the summer, we're going to sort of uh, take our time walking through the law and the, all the laws that follow the Ten Commandments as the Lord is molding and shaping for himself a people of his own possession. And so this is a monumental moment, and uh, this first commandment right out of the gate is so foundational, it's, uh, it's so critical that we understand it that I couldn't just uh, brush past it and uh, clump it with a bunch of other ones. So I wanted to just spend a full, um, our full time here this morning walk, just ex- exploring this very first one, because I think it has ramifications with all of the rest of the law of God that's given to us uh, in Exodus 20 and the following uh, chapters that we'll, we're going to be looking at this summer. Let me read our verses. We're just going to be Exodus 21, uh, 2, and 3 this morning. So short verses, big implications. Exodus 20, Moses has gone up to the mountain. He receives the law of God. And he's coming down and he's giving it and telling it to the people of God as they are waiting for Moses to come down off the mountain to hear what God has told him. And this is Moses telling God's people uh, the law that is given to him. Exodus 21 through 3. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, like I said, we all have this preconceived maybe maybe understanding of the Ten Commandments. Some of you may be in this room and you, you know all the Ten Commandments. You grew, up, you grew up in church. You grew up maybe with some felt boards. You grew up uh, memorizing the Ten Commandments and you think to yourself, yeah, I'm the kind of person, I, I believe the Ten Commandments are important. I believe that everything in God's word is important. So I try to live uh, in accordance to the Ten Commandments and live my life and obey these Ten Commandments as best I can. 
Uh, some of you may be in this room, you're like, I know like maybe one or two, uh, maybe some of the, maybe the top three, but I don't really pay attention to them. They don't really preoccupy my thoughts. I don't really ever think about them. In fact, I, when I hear the 10 commandments, I just think that old movie with Charlton Heston, um, and that's about it. And I don't really have any other frame of reference for it. Some of you may be in here and you're like, listen, we're in the new, we're like a new covenant people. The 10 commandments don't matter. Those are antiquated. Those are old. Those are old fashioned. Uh, Why are we even talking about the 10 commandments? Right? And so a lot of us um, interact with the 10 commandments and think about the 10 commandments, maybe in some varying degree of what I just shared all over the kind of the map there. But what I want, to, want us to understand today is that the Ten Commandments, uh, just because they're in the Old Testament, doesn't mean they should just be uh, not considered, not thought about, not lived by, not understood, and not understood in the context of the whole. Jesus himself said in his public ministry that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. So Jesus, when he walks on the scene, says, I did not come so that you would take the law of God that we're going to be walking through this summer and looking at so that you can just throw it out the door. I came to fulfill the law. So the law of God, all of this that we're going to be walking through and looking at, points to Jesus. It aims us to Jesus. The hope that all that is fulfilled in the law that we're going to look at in these Ten Commandments and all the subsequent verses and chapters that follow in Exodus 20, 21, 22, and 23, it is like a uh, magnifying glass on Jesus. Jesus says, I fulfill all of these. And so as we're walking through these, so if they're important, Jesus fulfills them. We need to understand what they're getting at. What do they mean? What are they calling us to? What does it mean for us as a church community to look at these? And so as we look at these Ten Commandments this summer over the number of months, we're going to be walking through these and the subsequent laws that are going to be talked about. Uh, I want us to ask a few questions along the journey as we're looking at these. One, what is the command? Like, what is the command? What is God really getting at? What is God really wanting us to understand? What is God really saying about this that we should walk in? Second thing I want us to do is, what does obedience to this command look like? Like, if God gave us this command, so one, what is it clearly? And then two, what does obedience look like? How do we live in it? How do we obey it as God's people? knowing that he's given it to us in his word, and it ultimately points us to Jesus because Jesus fulfills all of them. Therefore, we want to do what God has called us to in obedience to them. And number three, what happens if we don't obey? What's the consequence? What's, what, if, what if we can't obey it? What if, we're all, what if the ship's already sailed and, oh, I haven't done that? So what, what does that mean for us as God's people? Um, so I want us to look at those three questions today. We're going to look at the, those three questions again a little bit next week as we journey through the rest of these. But this first one, I think, sets up all the others. It's a foundational one. Exodus 20, 1 through 3. Here we go. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here's the command, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, what I want us to look at first is what it doesn't say as we examine this. It doesn't say 
you need to have a God in your life. It assumes you already do. It assumes you're already a worshiper of something. It doesn't say you need to have a God in your life and you need to make sure it's me. It doesn't say you need to consider the fact that God is real, that you were created, and you need to make sure that you understand who he is. It assumes you already have a God in your life. It assumes that you're already a worshiper of something or of someone or of some deity. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, assuming you are already worshiping something. He is calling you to be the worshiper of the one true God. Now, we're going to say this word a lot, worship. Um, What does that mean? Well, worship is the object of that which you're placing your hope, your trust, your future, your past, and whatever, whatever that object is, whatever you think that is going to uh, meet all of your needs, is going to be your greatest hope, is your greatest joy. You put your energy, your thoughts, your time, your resources. These are objects of our worship. Um, you place your trust wholly. You put all your chips in that one thing, that one person, that one deal. You put all the weight of your life on this one thing. That's what you worship. That's your hope. That's your trust. The Hebrew word literally means to fall prostrate, to, to fall down on your face. That it, it would be something that, is, that orients your life, that has gravity, that has weight, that has meaning, that you uh, orbit your life around this one thing or maybe many things in your life. It's deeply meaningful. It's an object of trust, of hope, of worship, of adoration, and your life begins to orbit around these things that we worship. Um, It could be thought of like this. It's something you point to that says, unless I have that, I won't be happy. Unless I get that, I can't be satisfied. Those are some objects of worship. Um, And the first commandment here that we're given as God is um, shaping his people, a people for his own possession, remember, there's potentially millions of people that Moses is giving this law to. They've been rescued out of slavery. Now he's setting and establishing a pattern of life and an expectation of this is how we operate. This is how you live in this kingdom as my people and I am your God. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. It tells us that God assumes that we're worshiping something already. He doesn't tell us to be worshipers. He doesn't tell us to find a God. He says, you're already worshiping, and he assumes that's already happening. It's the object of our worship that it's getting to here in this very first commandment. It's the object of our worship because we are designed to be worshipers. That's why it's the very first one. It's addressing what's very first and preeminent about us that we are first and foremost as created beings in the image of God created to be worshipers. And so God, in the very first commandment, as he's ordering his people, as he's instructing his people, addresses this first first issue. 
theologian put it this way, Reverend Morgan, he says, the very composition of human life, the mystery of man's being demands at a center, at their center of worship, a necessity of existence. All of life is worship. However, he says, there may be a false God at the center of that worship. He's saying, so we, we as people, as created in the image of God, are hardwired to worship something. We, uh, Spurgeon says, our hearts are idol factories. We come up with new things to worship all the time. And so the very first commandment addresses this that is in our hearts. Now, you may be in here and... Uh, you can easily answer, listen, I'm a Christian. I worship God. I'm here, aren't I? Right? There's a lot of people that aren't, or there are a lot of people that don't go to church. There's a lot of people that don't even give it a second thought. I'm here. I'm a Christian. Um, so what's, what, what are we getting at here? But here's something critical that we need to see in this very first commandment. It's not just a simple, uh, it's, not a, it's not as simple as are you a Christian and do you worship God? Listen to what he says. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, before me, before me. Now, some of us, uh, if you've grown up in the church, have heard this taught numerous different ways, probably. This is maybe one primary one uh, way that this is taught. And it kind of goes something like this. Sure, you're going to have lots of things in your life. You're going to have a lot of things that happen in your life. You're going to have a lot of things that you need to do and get done in your life. You're going to have a lot of things that are, you're passionate about, that you really love in this world, that you trust, that you, that you put your hope in. But make sure Jesus is number one. So you have all of these things that you put your trust in, that you put your hope in, that you spend your time, talent, energy, resources, chasing and running after, and that's, uh, that's fine. Just make sure Jesus is at the top. That's a real common way of thinking about this first commandment. Now, that principle is not untrue. That's a very logical and good way of thinking about it, but I don't think this is what this first commandment is getting at. Um, listen to it again. You shall have no other gods before me. Before me is not talking about order or rank. It doesn't say in your list of tr hopes and trusts and passions and all the things that you long for, make sure I'm at the top. It doesn't say that. You shall have no other gods before me. So the question is, what does that mean? If it doesn't mean rank, and it doesn't, doesn't connotate an order, an ordering of, I've got uh, this right here that I really love, I've got this one, this one, and then I'm going to make sure God's at the top. What is it getting at? Before me literally means before my face, in my presence. You shall have no other gods before my face. You shall have no other gods in my presence. That reads a little bit different, doesn't it? That feels a little bit different. That has a whole different gravity to it. Not you shall have a lot of little gods, make sure I'm the biggest God. You shall have no other gods before my face, he says to his people. 
as he's rescued them out of 400 years of bondage to slavery, of mistreatment. He parts the Red Sea. He provides them manna in the desert, every need. He's sanctifying them. He's shaping them. He's molding them. He's saved them. He's accomplished so much for them. He says, you shall have no other gods before my face. And so the warning is not to make sure that God is number one in your life. That's not the warning. The warning is, are you trying to worship God and other gods at the same time? That's what we need to grapple with. Which is what the Israelites had spent nearly 400 years grappling with. 400 years enslaved to the Egyptians with all their myriad of gods and all their myriad of teachings that they would have uh, no doubt been influenced by and would have begun to believe about how to flourish in this life and how to make it in this life and how to survive in this life. There was all these other gods peppered in to their every day. And God is saying, you shall have no other gods before my face. No other gods before my face. The problem with the Israelites, with they were dipping their toes in different waters, hoping that all these other gods might make other things come true for them. We're going to see that happen in a few chapters after this. We're going to see them break this first commandment almost immediately, if you know the rest of the story. Uh, but this is our story too. This is me. This is you. We want the best of both worlds. We want to take this, and we want to take this, and we want to give our hearts, trusts, and hopes, and affections to these things. But we also want to please God, too. We want to please him, too. We want to go to heaven. We want to make sure we're good Christians. We want to make sure we, we say the right things and do the right things. But we also, we want, to make sure, we want to slide this in and pepper this in, because these are good things, too, Right? We're just like the Israelites. Um, so the problem is not worshiping God. The problem is, are we worshiping other gods while also trying to worship the one true God? That's my problem. And that's our problem. Um, we want to have it really, 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 really good here and live in the ways of the world here. And we also want to have it really, really, really good there in heaven, in glory with him. And we try to figure a way to mesh both worlds together. And the very first commandment says, you can't have it that way. Um, Jesus says it this way in the New Testament. He says, if you want to follow me, uh, here's what you need to do. You need to take up your cross every day and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus and worshiping God, worshiping God, the one true God, means you take up your cross and you follow. It means it's going to cost you. It means you have to let go of all of these other things. 
You have to say, those do not rule me. Those are not where my hope and trust is. It is in you and you alone, God. It's, it's costly. It's sacrificial. It was for Jesus, and it will be for those of us that follow him. Health and wealth and all the things that we run after in this world are not promised in the call to follow Christ. Those are not promised to you. What's promised is sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try, Jesus says, if you try to keep your life in this, if you try to keep your life in this world, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Letting go of all those other things we tend to run after is where we actually find our real life, true life. Um, the first commandment is showing us, this is why it's so profound, this is why it's so meaningful to all these other commandments that we're going to look at in the coming weeks, is so profound because it shows us the absolute impossibility of trying to go after God and other things that we place as gods in our lives. It's impossible. It's incompatible. Trying to worship God and trying to worship all these other things in our lives. But you may be here like, well, what's the big deal? You know, it's like, yes, there's some things in my life as you're talking about this. Maybe you're kind of examining your life and thinking, where are there areas in my life where I'm not just wholly devoted to God and I've got all these other things that maybe if you looked at where I spend my time, my talents, my treasures, my resources, uh, that you may categorize as things that I'm placing my hope and trust in or the Old Testament calls them idols, where I'm bowing down and I'm giving my time, I'm giving my effort, I'm giving my energy. But I also worship God. So that's good, right? At least I'm here. At least I'm tuning in online with the two of you that are there. Hey, glad you're here. Like, that's better than nothing, right? Um, would it not be better that I... Is it not better that I worship God also? And yes, I have all these other things. All these other things that my heart's desires just are, are prone to go after. Well, oftentimes the Bible calls um, our unfaithfulness to him when we run after all these other things. When we run after all these other idols, all these other gods, all these other things we place our life's hope and trust in, the Bible describes this oftentimes uh, as adultery. Um, Jesus looks at the Pharisees, he calls them an adulterous people. Um, and it's, it's this horrible, shocking, like, word. But that's getting at the heart of it. This unfaithfulness to run after God, to have God and God alone as your hope and your trust. When we, when we run after and place our hope and trust in other things, it, the Bible describes it as adultery, being unfaithful, committing adultery against God. Now, committing adultery against a spouse is horrible. It's this thing that's... that's lack of, that, that trust is broken, that all these horrible things come, that there's all these um, questions, there's all these feelings, this high-level emotion. But that's what this commandment is talking about. You shall have no other gods before my face. No one in this room would argue that adultery would be better uh, 
as long as my spouse just knew about it. Or worse yet, we're there. That's what this is getting at. A lot of us are like, well, yeah, I've got all these other things in my life, but at least I'm here. This is what the first commandment is talking about. You shall have no other gods before my face. So when we don't live in that way and we run after all these other things, it's like spiritual adultery on God. And he sees all. Um, And where is God's presence? Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Is there anywhere that we can escape his presence? No. Is there some hiding place that we can go to and worship our secret idols where he won't find us and he doesn't know and he, his eyes are shielded from? No. He sees all. He knows all. Um, This is a call. This first commandment is to worship him and him alone. Breaking the first commandment, church, is like committing adultery in the presence of your spouse. It's so shocking it is. You shall have no other gods before me, before my face. So what other gods do we worship? Maybe let's get practical. How do we know? What are these things? Like, what are the things that we grapple with? Certainly, we're not out in the woods, like, crafting some image, and we're bowing down to it, and we're writing songs about this little stick figure that we've made. Uh, We're not uh, making golden calves, Um, but We may not do that, but we all have these little lords in our lives. We all have these little lords in our lives. How do we reveal what they are and how do we find out what they are? Well, one way is you can find them in your fears. What are you most afraid of happening? Uh, When you look at your deepest fears, oftentimes you can find your idols hiding. What are you most afraid of? What can you not live without? If this happened, I could not go on. There you can begin to root out some idols that may be hiding in your deepest fears. You can also find them in your happiness. What makes you the most happy? What brings you the greatest joy? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? What are, when you're not even concentrating on something or thinking about something, what does your mind just drift to and naturally think about? What are you prone to daydreaming about and wondering about and thinking about and searching about or Googling about or uh, doodling about or journaling about? What are those things? Now, I'm not saying whatever makes you happy is your idol. Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is, what is something that you cannot be happy without? Those can be your idols. What is something that your happiness depends on? If I don't have this, I'm crushed. Your idols hide there. 
And these are the things that we tend to hold closed-handed with. Do not take this from me. Do not let this happen to me. And we begin to build our lives around those things. We begin to, begin to spend all of our time. We begin to spend all of our energy. We begin to spend all of our resources making sure that this doesn't happen because it's my greatest fear or to make sure that this remains there because it's my greatest fear if I lose it because all my happiness is banking on it. What are some of those things? Maybe, I mean, they, there's a number of things. Is it intimacy? Is it the perfect family? Is it a spouse? Is it a person? Is it money? Is it a job? Is it comfort? Is it ease? Is it power? Is it some kind of control over something? Is it a certain way of presenting yourself? Is it an image? Is it a body image? Is it the perfect this, that, or other? What is it that you're like, I've got, this is, this is just for me. Unless I have that, I cannot be happy. Those are the things that are little lords in our lives that we worship. Sometimes without even realizing it. Check your Google search history. You might be able to find them there. If you search it a hundred times a day for the last few years, the last few days, months, whatever it is, you're like, oh, my mind is preoccupied on this. That was a jab at myself because um, I'm the, that's just me. Ash is like, what are you looking up this time? No, no, nothing. Some new thing pops into my head. I'm like, oh, I got to have that or I want that or I wonder about that. We live in this age where it's just endless things that you can preoccupy your life with. Um, <clears throat> now, these things in and of themselves are not bad things, right? Some of it's like family. Some of these things are a spouse. Some of these things are like, well, those are good things. How could those be idols? Um, they become little lords in our lives when they become the ultimate thing. We place them in a place of worship and hope and trust that they can never occupy. Um, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before my face. Those things can't live there. They will never satisfy and they can become ultimate things so easily in our everyday lives if we're not careful. And so when we look at this commandment, you have no other gods before me, you may find yourself in this room, you're like, well, I'm guilty of that. Like this morning, right? Yesterday, last week, I'm guilty of that every four minutes, it seems like. I have some other new thing that's preoccupying my heart, and so you may be crushed with guilt Church, there's no one in this room that has not elevated something or someone above God at some point in your life. We all find ourselves guilty of this very first commandment because the call to live up to this to the fullest extent, we all find ourselves guilty of it. The Israelites were guilty of it literally a few chapters after it's given, and we are guilty of it. But when we look at this commandment, when it comes to worshiping, it's stated in such a way where there's no wiggle room. It's all or nothing. So when it comes to worshiping God, the, the options are you're all in or it's nothing at all. And this is the way it's all always been. Look at Joshua, Joshua 24, 15. Choose for this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord, he says. Elijah at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 and says this, how long will you go on limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He's like, make your choice. If the Lord is God, you follow him as God. But if you believe it's Baal or some other God that you've chosen, then run after that one. You cannot have both. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 24. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have two lords. You cannot serve both God and money, he says. Those are hard words. So, how do we obey? How do we obey this? Today, if you're here and you examine your life and you've not obeyed this first commandment right out of the gate, well, I think step one, when we examine our hearts, and maybe you're in this place, like, I've just been running after this headlong, and I think that I've been placing this as my hope, I've been putting my trust in this, and I've been spending my time, my energy, my resources on getting this or getting this, whatever it is, then the first step to obedience is repentance, number one is repentance. Um, it's ridding our lives of the idols that are before the face of God. So as you're thinking about what are they, you repent and you turn from those things and you run to the one true God. It sounds simple enough, but what does it look like? What does it look like to rid our lives of these idols that are even good things? Like, this is a good thing, so how do I get... How do I rid my life of it if it's categorized as something that's becoming an object of worship in my life? How does that practically look? Like if maybe if your career is your idol and you're climbing the corporate ladder and you're making some headway and your boss uh, wants to give you the promotion that you've been working toward, do you say, get behind me, Satan. In fact, I need you to give me a, a demotion and would you please fire me because I do not want this to be an idol. Like does, is, that what, is that what this means? Because sometimes I know if y'all are out here, you're like, this is like preacher talk, but in the real world, like, what does this actually mean, right? It's like, do you just have to do the opposite and tell them to give you less and to not let you do? Like, if your career is your, like, what is the practical thing here? How do you actually do this? Well, I believe it is, like I was saying earlier, you hold good things loosely, open-handed, uh, because every good gift comes from the Lord. And if every gift comes from the Lord and it's him that has given it to you, then he has the right to give you more or to take it away. And if he decides to take it away, you know that you can, you're going to be okay because the Lord is undergirding you. He is holding you. He is sustaining you. He is what's good in your life. And he has given you a good gift. And if he takes it away, it doesn't crush you. It doesn't ruin you. It doesn't upend you because your hope and trust is in the Lord, not in this thing. So we're open-handed with things. It's when we do this and we say, this is mine, God. This is not for you. This is not for you to interfere with. This is not for you to meddle with. And when it goes away, 
it crushes us. So take all even the good things and hold them with an open hand, knowing that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right, church? And he can still be um, your only object of, tr- of trust. Um, it's like the, the Lord of the Rings movie, right? The more you hold on to it, the more it becomes precious to you, and the more you need it, the more you think about it, the more it preoccupies. It took a very special person, right? There's, a, there's so many spiritual parallels. I won't nerd out with you and go more into the Lord of the Rings analogies here, though I really wanted to, but it's that idea, right? Um, the law is not meant to burden you. Having no other gods, having no other masters controlling you is meant to free you in this life, church. The New Testament teaches this. 1 John 5.3 For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that interesting? You're like, oh, we're doing a whole bunch of talks on the Ten Commandments. It's going to feel so burdensome. It's going to feel like so restricting. It's going to feel so like, oh. First John 5, New Testament says, his commandments are not burdensome. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Jesus, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. On the surface, having no other gods before my face sounds burdensome, it sounds demanding, it sounds restrictive, it sounds uh, so religious, it sounds so, ugh, like I don't like it. It sounds un-American. It's like we should be able to do whatever we want and go wherever we want. And, and Right? It's just we, we don't like those restrictive things. Commandments? Who are you to tell me about a commandment, right? God? Preacher guy? Mom and dad? We, we rail against those things. But how could they not be burdensome? What does that mean? The only possible way to have a command like this and it not be a burden and it not be restrictive and it not be harsh is if it's given in the context of love. If it's given in the context of love. Think about a marriage relationship. In a marriage covenant, you stand before that person and you say things like, there will be no one else in my life that will compete for my love for you. I am yours and you are mine forever. I love you. I'm here for you in sickness and in health, no matter what. Solomon says, many waters cannot quench our love. Nothing makes me happier than the thought of being with you forever for the rest of my life. Is that burdensome and restrictive and like, ooh, that's icky? Would you ever feel that way toward your spouse if they said those things to you? No. That's like, that's beautiful. That's a love relationship. I don't want anything else to come between my love for you. No one else will compete for my love for you. That's, you shall have no other gods before me. 
It's in love. Take it, juxtapose it to like your job. All right, I need you to sign here and you need to be here these hours this day. You need to complete these tasks. We're going to have six evaluations for you at uh, these intervals. And if you don't meet those, you're going to be reprimanded here. You're going to make this much. And if you do this, you're going to make that much. It's all like a contract. And it fe- like those are restrictive and those are burdensome because they're based on performance and they're based on work. You got to work to get it done. And if you achieve it, then you will be rewarded. Love versus work. Love versus work. The Ten Commandments is not uh, a works-based religion. It is birthed out of love even in Exodus 20. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 2, before the commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He gives us verse 2 before he gives us verse 3. I have accomplished all of this for you. I have loved you in such a way that I've rescued you. I've freed you. I've made a way for you. I've given you life where there was no hope. I've given you hope. I've sanctified you. I've saved you. I've given you. I've made you into a people of my own possession. Out of love now have no other gods before me. Christian, God has set his love upon you. He's saying, I'm crazy about you. I've done it all for you. I even did not withhold my own son from you. I sent him for you to pay the penalty of your idolatrous life on the cross so that nothing could stand in the way of you and me having this relationship together forever and ever and ever. He's done it all for us. Um. He gives us verse 2 before he gives us the command. He shows us his love. All the things that you've been putting your hope and your time and your energy that you bow down to that are uh, idols for you, have they ever done what God has done for you? Have they ever given you what you were hoping they would give to you? God has held nothing back He saves you. He gives you everything you need to be with him forever. And he did not withhold his only begotten son. Um, He's telling you, I did not want anything to come in between us. I removed every obstacle. He's saying nothing is going to separate us. Nothing is going to separate us. Uh, Exodus 20 verse 3 is the other side of the coin of Romans 8.38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are all of those things he just described? Those are all the good things. Those are all the bad things. Those are all the little lords. Those are all the idols that we make in our lives. He says, nothing will come in between us. Why? Because of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The only way we can have a God that guarantees that nothing will separate us from his love is if we have a God that says, you can have no other gods before me. It's the same coin, two different sides. You cannot have one without the other. 
Now, you might be here as we close, and you're thinking, well, I agree, that's great, that's wonderful, but I know my heart, and I'm going to disobey. I'm not going to be able to measure up. What's going to happen when I disobey? What's going to happen when I don't follow through? What's going to happen when I let my heart wander to all of these little lords in my life that I so easily get entangled with and run after? Um, Here's what God did when his people did not obey his command. Hundreds of years after Exodus chapter 20, after God gave them the law, hundreds of years after God's people not obeying and not living up to this and failing and worshiping all these other things, here's what he did. God uh, spoke again um, from another mountain in Matthew 17. Go back. We don't have time to, I wanted to read the whole story, but I'm running out of time. Go back and read Matthew 17. Jesus was there, and with him was Peter and James and John. They were on top of another mountain. It was a lot like Sinai where Moses was, there was a terrible and bright cloud that overshadowed him. And there from this mountain, God would speak again. But what would he say? God spoke and he said, this, Jesus is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. He says, listen to him. Listen to him. God is giving one commandment. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He's saying it all hangs on Jesus now. All the 10 commandments, the first one that we just talked about and the ones we're gonna talk about for weeks ahead, it all hangs on Jesus now. He is the person that keeps the commandments perfectly. He's saying, listen to him. Do what he says. Obey him. Trust in him. Put your, put your hope in him, the Lord Jesus perfectly obeyed all of the commandments of God when we could not. Jesus perfectly obeyed all of the commandments when we were bowing down to other idols and little lords in our lives that we do so often, almost daily. And at the cross, he traded places with us. At the cross, when you think about the cross of Christ, Jesus was being treated as if he worshiped idols. Jesus was being treated as if he broke the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before my eyes. And he took that punishment. At the cross, he was being treated as if he bowed down and worshiped all the idols that you and I worship. Now, why would God choose to forsake his only son when this son kept all of the commandments perfectly? Why? Because he was trading places with us, church. At the cross, he received the full penalty for bowing down and worshiping idols before the very face of God. As if he worshiped all of the idols that you bow down and worship. Yet he was absolutely faithful. He never once wavered in worshiping God and God alone. Why? So that you and I, church, can be treated as if we worshiped God perfectly, as if we had no other gods before his face. Jesus, we, we get his record because he paid the full penalty and price for ours. The great substitution. And that would be enough. Like we, That would be enough 
to sing all the days of our lives of his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love, and we would just be a people of grateful praise, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just take the penalty. He rose from death. He is ruling and reigning at the right hand. He now sends you the Holy Spirit of God to guide you and now mold you and shape us into a people who actually can renounce all these little lords and idols in our life and through the process of sanctification and making us become in the likeness of Christ worshipers of the one true God with no other little lords in our lives. And he does this over and over and over again. He actively changes us by the goodness of the gospel. He keeps coming after you over and over and over and over again in his love. So that one day, not by our own accord, but by his alone, um, we can sing this song that's recorded in the very last days in Revelation 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, church. Lord, I pray for the one in here, God, that... Um, may feel guilty for running after all these little lords in our lives that aren't you, that have many other gods before your eyes. Lord, would we be a people of first and foremost repentance? Would we turn from those and run to you? Um, and thank you that you made that possible through your son, Jesus Christ, who obeyed that commandment perfectly for us so that when we fall, we can run to Jesus and we can fall on his grace and mercy. And he now um, gives to us his very righteousness that he achieved, that he accomplished so that we can now become and be children of God. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that as we live this life as believers, would you continue to sanctify us, to strip away the desire to run after all these other little things that preoccupy us? Would you mold us and shape us into your image until one day we will see you in glory? Make us into worshipers of the one true God more and more and more. And thank you that your love keeps coming after us again and again and again and again. And I pray that we would not resist the change that you want to take place in our hearts and lives so that we might become worshipers of the one true God, him and him alone. Church, let's stand and worship him this morning.